Hey, this is John Sally, and thanks for listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. This is Cassie Sobleton. I'm a health and wellness expert, speaker, and author of Back to Balance. You're listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Hello, my name is Don Jose Ruiz, co-author of the FIFA Agreement, and you're listening to Humble Warrior Podcast. Hey, it's Jason Robel, the author of Eternity, and you are listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Yo, this is Tommy, TommyMacYoga.com. You are listening to the Humble Warrior Podcast. Handstands, everyone. Hi, this is Bob Roth. I'm a teacher of Transcendental Meditation, and you're listening to a great show, The Humble Warrior Podcast. Hi, this is Katie Delbao, author of the book Let It Out, and you are listening to The Humble Warrior Podcast. Welcome to The Humble Warrior Podcast. Here are your hosts, Chris Forte and John Moises. I'm John Moises. That is Chris Forte. Live brave. This is the Humble Warrior Podcast. Welcome to the show. Hello, Humble Warriors. We've got another awesome episode of the Humble Warrior Podcast. I am so fired up for today's show. I've got a great friend who's going to be on a guest, a guest on the show that I've known. We were talking at lunch today for... uh, 16 years. Yeah, 16 years. So Nice. A very long time. But before we get started... We want to make sure we thank everybody. So I want to thank you for subscribing to the Humble Warrior Podcast on iTunes, following us on Twitter at The Warrior Pod, and liking the Humble Warrior Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So we've got a friend of yours that we're sitting here right across, 16 yeah. years, and we love always having a guest here because it just brings, I think, the conversation to a little bit more deeper, deeper conversation when you can actually see everybody and kind of just meet everybody and yeah and we have awesome energy yeah awesome energy so um let's get rolling with, yeah. your, with your friend here yeah so we've got kirsten bagash who is the owner of retro gogo where she and her husband create and sell vintage inspired fashion art and accessories when kirsten was nine she started developing obsessive compulsive disorder and lived in its grip for over 20 years kirsten wrote a book about her OCD experience called Leaving the OCD Circus, which comes out in a couple weeks on October 1st. In the book, she shares her struggles and victory over OCD and provides self-help tips, techniques, and insights for those that may struggle with anxiety disorder and provides information for those that love them and want to understand their experience. Welcome to the Humble Warrior Podcast, Kirsten. Thank you so much, John, and thank you, Chris, and thank you so much for having me here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, I am so glad that you're on the show, and I was just telling Kirsten we had lunch before the show, and it's just accidental how we ran into each other because she had... Well, you know there's no such thing as accident. That's what I'm saying. The universe was opened ourselves up because I hadn't... I don't think I've talked to you in years. Many years. Many years. Right. And you were doing a show at Kobo, the Autorama show, where you brought your, your company and did um, a display. Yep, and you're set up a little your, store. Yeah, and selling your product. And I said, hey, I think Kirsten's going to be at this show. Let's take the family and go check it out. So we caught up. I totally surprised you. Mm-hmm. And we were talking, just really quick catch up. I mean, it was probably 10 minutes. Sure. And we were just saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? She's like, I wrote a book. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you wrote a book? And she told me the, uh, the, that she was writing a book, and we exchanged information. And then you sent me a postcard with the release date. I'm like, OCD? I had no idea. Mm. And I told you about the podcast, 
And it's just like, it's perfect how this all comes together because I think it's a great topic for our audience because I just got done reading the book literally last night. And it's, there's, even if you don't have OCD or you haven't experienced OCD, the things that you've touched upon in the book are meaningful to everybody, I think. And I can't wait to get into this conversation with you. So can you tell us, just so everybody knows, what, what is OCD? Well, OCD is different things to different people. And I don't mean that in a vague sense, but if I were a doctor, which I am not, I would give you probably a textbook definition. The thing that makes me different than a doctor is that I actually am the sufferer. However, on the journey of OCD, I have picked up a lot of things to put in my arsenal to fight my way back and be healthy. Mm -hmm. So what I wrote, um, I'm going to just read off my sheet, um, what obsessive compulsive disorder means to me. I probably won't say all those words together again. It's very long. Yeah. I know I will be tongue-tied. Um, so I'll refer to it as OCD. And again, that's obsessive compulsive disorder. And it is a behavioral disorder that's affecting the brain. It involves obsessions and time-consuming compulsions that get in the way of everyday activities and regular functioning. OCD is often intimidating and misunderstood. If I personally had known that I had OCD and what was going on with me many, many years ago, I could have worked the problem so many years ago rather than being a victim of it for two decades plus. Wow. And one thing I wanted to share is that right now OCD is in the common vernacular. You hear a lot of people talking about it. If you go to a bookshelf, mm -hmm. you'll see many books written on the topic of OCD, um, it, which is fantastic and, and really great for people that are in need of more information. When I was out there trying to figure out what was going on with me, I would go to the library and I would look up schizophrenia. And there's things that I'd go, okay, I kind of get that. And I'd look up bipolar. Um, and I'd look up these different types of disorders, but nothing really seemed to be the fit. And truly, the books on the shelf were less than five when I finally did find out I had OCD and yeah. started to do some research. So in one way, I'm very glad that there is more OCD awareness. And what I hope to do is to share with people from the street level what I know OCD to be, what I learned on my journey, and how I whittled a key, a very personal, customized key for myself to get out of prison. And not that I have the perfect solution for everybody to follow. It's not that easy. But my intention is to share what I've learned so other people can whittle their own key and get out of their prison and get on to their big happy life. And what I mean by that is it's taken way too long for me to get there. And if I have access to information that I can share with people that can help them get to their big happy life a lot sooner than I got to mine, then I'm all in. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, I'm definitely intrigued because you said a couple things, which is great, is why we do this show is you, you mentioned like the street level, you know, so we could have a doctor on the show talking about this, but it's going to go over a lot of people's heads, including mine. So 
I'm intrigued because I, I've always thought I've had a little tad of OCD and you mentioned, you know, bipolar uh, or schizophrenia. And, you know, when you're, you're, you're looking at things like your brain, can you break it down of how you defined it OCD for you? Like what was the, you know, the, the, the things maybe you were doing on, sure. a, on a daily basis or, or give maybe some examples? Sure. Um, because OCD kind of crept into my life when I was quite young, um, the relationship started almost as a distraction. I had a pretty unstable childhood, and organizing things or counting to a certain number over and over again is almost melodic, like rocking yourself in a chair. So I would, for instance, feel stressed and then tap on whatever surface I was near maybe a hundred times. Mm. And then almost by having the compulsion of tapping, I would feel a little bit better and a little less anxious. And that's all fine and good, but then after it got a little foot in the door, it became more like what I refer to it in the book as the sergeant. So instead of, hey, let's play a game, let's play tapping, um, instead of something like that, it was, hey, you are going to play a game and you are going to do it perfectly. And if you're not doing it perfectly, I will make you repeat it and do it over again. And so it became very repetitious. It became um, very much like someone tapping you on the shoulder over and over and over again that's not letting up. And the reason you do the compulsion is to get relief. But it's very temporary. So for instance, in the OCD world, um, there are different manifestations. And I'm sure you've heard of people that wash their hands um, obsessively, compulsively, and uh, quote-unquote germaphobes. And there's a lot of different labels out there. We're much bigger than our labels, but if I had to give myself one, I wholeheartedly am a perfectionist and a checker. And what that means is that I would have to check the stove and make sure all the burners were turned off perfectly before I could leave the house. Mm. Um, I had to straighten all the cushions on the couch. And it almost had a magical flair that if I didn't do these things and make these things right, somehow I would create doom for my family and loved ones. So I wasn't just turning off the stove because, hey, I like to turn the stove off. It is if I don't turn off the stove and I do happen to leave it on, I'm going to start a fire. And if I start a fire, then I'm going to burn down this condo and I'm going to burn all the animals and all the good people that don't deserve to die in a fire. And it's all going to be on my shoulders. So gosh almighty, it's worth me going back one more time and checking the stove. Uh, leaving the house in high school, finally after like an hour ritual of doing all the things I felt I had to do um, altruistically to save people that I loved, I would be on my way to school and quote unquote sergeant would say, are you sure you locked the door? And I'd say like a victim, yeah, 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 no, no, I'm sure I did it like 30 times. I'm sure it's locked. I'm sure it's locked. And then sergeant would say, yeah, but you know what? You're pretty imperfect, you've made a lot of mistakes, and you probably should go see if the door is locked, because just as a good friend, I'm going to tell you, if the door is open and a murderer gets in the house and has a knife, then when your mom comes in or whatever, mm. she'll probably get her throat slashed, and there will be a murder, and it will be heinous, and it's going to be your fault. So as a good friend, let me just tell you, why don't you go back to the house and check the door one more time? 
And what happens is this little private hell world becomes a voice of authority. And you'll do anything you can to comply just to get the harassing to stop. So things that you go, this is crazy. I'm checking the stove for the hundredth time, or this is this is bananas. I know the door is locked. Why do I keep on having to check the door? Half of you goes, this is absolutely wild and bananas and, and you know, absolutely made up. But because it's coming from your own head and it's coming from a voice of authority, you have the emotional buy-in because it's usually tied to someone that you love, saving someone. Um, you know, nobody wants to see their kittens burn in a fire, right. you know? And so you do these crazy things to get Sergeant to go, okay, I'm going to give you a pass. And what happens is that you go, okay, I have a little OCD thing. Now I'm free for an hour. Okay, I have a little OCD thing. Okay, I'm kind of, you know, going, you know, um, compulsively checking things or whatever. But now I got a little let up. And what happens is that the normal space that you have becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. So all you're doing is reporting to your disorder. Wow. wow. So that, yeah. I mean. This is good stuff. I mean. it. So you've been on this this hell you call for quite some time. Absolutely. Which got you to writing this book. Right. I think one of the things about that really surprised me when I read the book was that, you know, I've known Kirsten for over 16 years and we worked together in the late nineties at borders. And actually she was my manager. And were you suffering? Were you still having a lot of OCD back then? Well, um, you know, people ask sometimes, like, can you be cured of OCD? Can you get it out of your life 100%? Mm-hmm. And I like to say it's like being diabetic, that you manage to it. Mm-hmm. And so you say, you know, oh, my gosh, I have really fair skin. I need to wear sunblock. It doesn't mean one day you're just going to wake up and be bronzy tan and you can go out in the sun for hours. Mm-hmm. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. I know what I'm working with, and I need to learn the tips and techniques to manage to the disorder. So the triggers are there, and they'll pop up kind of like a -a whack-a-mole and say, oh, don't you want to check your car door one more time? And I'll go, oh, yeah, hey, OCD, good to see you're you're up today and, and doing your job just like I am, and my job is to say not today, thank you very much, mm-hmm. but... I was present, I was clear in the moment, I saw that I locked my door, and I'm not going to go back to it. And you know what? And this is where you get a little bit reckless. You say, and if I forgot to lock the door, the sky's not going to fall. And if I forgot to turn off the burner, yeah, it's not a good idea to leave the stove on, but it's not like everything in the world's going to fall apart and it's going to be on my shoulders. And one of the things that's so black and white and so heinous about OCD is that there is no range. There's no range for error. There's no range for gray. There's no range for, gee, I did okay. Everything has to be to the ninth um, delivered. So do I have characteristics of a perfectionist? Absolutely. Um, do I still feel the need that I want to overcheck things? Yes. But do I let it sit in the driver's seat and take over my life? No. And do I say, okay, OCD, if you're going to be here, you're in the sidecar. I'm the driver. End of story. And taking control and 
being the one behind the wheel and finding my way through life is a lot better than being a victim of this crippling disorder. And I wrote the book because I know the magnitude of suffering and the people that are struggling right now and feeling isolated in their own prison, feeling like there's no way out and there's no hope. And I have been there. And I'm not the person that can know this and just keep on walking onto my own merry way. I had to go back and I had to say, gosh darn it, I'm going to roll up these shirt sleeves and I'm going to give it my all to try to help these other people that are trapped. Because life is just too short. And if anybody knows it, I know it. And I believe I know how to speak to people in a way that I can take the information that I've learned over the years with doctors and that I've learned by reading all of my books and doing all my homework and cognitive behavior therapy, and I can kind of distill it down into nuggets of information that can be applied so people can get to a much healthier space. And I never really had that done for myself. And I thought, you know what, if I have something valuable here that I can share so people can get to a better place and become the drivers in their life and not just the victim of their disorder, I am all hands on deck. I will wake up at five in the morning. I will write the book. I will do what needs to be done to do what needs to be done. And that's, I need to be as resourceful and as helpful as I humanly possibly can to everyone who needs it. Wow. And I, you know, but on this show, we kind of sometimes talk, you know, what is our purpose, you know, and really come into the grips that it's our story is our purpose because it's who we are and it's really embracing who we are and loving who we are. And from just meeting you in a short time, I don't know, this is the feel I get um, by you writing your book was also a healing process for you. Absolutely. To say, listen, not only am I going to share this story, but now this is part of my healing process and I'm going to own this going forward. So not only am I going to help many, many people with it, but I'm helping myself along the way for the rest of my life. Absolutely. 100%, Chris. You You got it. And the journey will continue probably for all the days you are walking here on earth is this is really just the beginning for you with this. Right. It's kind of the next chapter in a very long novel <laughs> that, excuse me, popping okay. the peas, um, <laughs> that, you know, really was, was dark and ill to brightness and lightness and health. And I think that, being on the path of brightness and lightness and health is a moment by moment, day by day experience of just making choices and doing the work that needs to be done to stay on the path that you want to be on. Yep. Right. You know what? I, when I was reading the book, it opened up because you, you share a lot of personal stuff in the book that happened to you as a young girl and as you grew up really from being a young girl to going through your career to getting married to seeing doctors and so forth and I felt like when I was reading it because I know you I've like it opened up like I feel like I know you even better now 
because this is something I had no idea that you were even suffering from. And I think that's, that was eye-opening to me too, is that there might be lots of people around that are OCD sufferers and you wouldn't even have a clue Absolutely. That, that they're doing it or that they, that they have a disorder or they're suffering. Right. And we worked pretty closely together at, for a little bit of time. And I was, when you told me, I was really shocked. And I think that's an important point that you bring up in the book. And I like in the book how you bring in some tips and um, some ways to understand it and, and to see that kind of behavior. It's, it's, it's great. And it takes a lot of courage to put that out there. Well, it does. And, you know, not know much about it, but what I've heard is kind of what you mentioned to Kirsten before is you even hear people joke about it, like on themselves, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I, I, I have OCD, you mm-hmm. know? And, but underlying there could be really, some really, really some pain and suffering going on. Sure. And just not knowing how, you know, some of the tools that they can do to alleviate that instead of just like living with it. Right. And I think when people say, oh, I'm a little OCD-ish or whatever, um, I do believe that's true. And I think like with so many things, there's a spectrum. Right. And when it takes over your life and you're debilitated and you're just reporting to your abuser and you're doing this whole entire thing secretively because just like all abusers, they want to keep themselves in the dark shadows to gain power. And so my vision is to say, let's turn on the lights. Let's hand everyone a flashlight. Let's get out of this darkness and get away from this um, thing that is trying to run the show. That's not a good thing and completely is there to just trip you up. And the thing with OCD, too, is that because it is a secret and it's something that you're not proud of. So, for instance, if I want a triathlon, I would be very happy to say I want a triathlon and I did it this way and this way and and all that good stuff. But when you have OCD, you don't say, hey, everybody, I want to tell you, I've got this mental disorder and I do this crazy shit and you wouldn't believe it, but I'm running a double lifestyle. One is where I'm reporting to the sergeant or OCD or whatever you call it. And the other one is where I'm trying to fake everybody out and be an actor or an actress and just keep my shit together long enough while I'm in front of people to go about a normal appearing life. And it's really living a double life because your inside life is hell. And Mm. I think if you're a little OCD-ish and, you know, maybe you do want things to look a certain way in your apartment or hang pictures so they're straight, um, a lot of those things are just basic nature that you want to have some kind of order and a semblance and maybe you have a good eye for style so you want to look a certain way. Um, yeah, we all have it a little bit. We're all going to be, you know, obsessive. If, if I had children, I'd be obsessively watching them to make sure they're careful and safe. Um, so we all have a little compulsion, you know, there's things if if, um, you were going to record a song and halfway through you tripped, you'd want to record it again, but when you can't stop recording it and you can't stop yourself from servicing your disorder, that's when you're no longer just a little OCD-ish, um, or it's something that, um, you know, gee, it's it's just kind of a funny slogan on a T-shirt from a big box store, um, when it's really your private hell and you know no other way of how to operate, and you're completely taken under 
then you go, okay, on the spectrum, yes, I have OCD. And yes, it is completely running the show. And I have two paths. One is just go down with it and take myself out and give up or learn about it and fight like hell to get out of its clutches. And that's really the turning point that I was at. So what, for all our listeners out there, or for anybody, let's say, who has OCD, where this is resonating with them, what did you do? What, what, was the, what, what, what have you been doing? Well, um, backing up a little bit, and I've talked to my doctor about this, who I'm still in contact with, And a lot of people seek help only when they have had a breakdown or a collapse or are completely unable to function. Then you go, okay, gee, I'd rather not have OCD, but apparently it's all I have and I can't breathe anymore. Um, And that's what gets a lot of people into the doctor's office. Because again, if if you're a triathlete, sure, everybody, I'm a triathlete. But when you have OCD, um, you'd rather not have OCD. You'd rather be doing other things. And when you finally can't function, unfortunately, that's when people go for help. And that's when I went for help because I knew I did not have the tools or the faculties to have a healthy life. I needed intervention. And when I went to this OCD specialist, and he said to me, um, after I took, it's called the I-box, or Y-box, pardon me, um, exam, where you kind of uh, take this test to see where you are on the OCD spectrum, if you will. And everything I answered was yes, 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 yes. And I handed it to him, and I thought, oh, my God, this is the big reveal. I'm not nearly as together as I like people to think I am. And he looked at me so sincerely and said, Kirsten, you have OCD. He said, you have a medical condition. You actually have a brain that's misfiring. And then he said to me, and it's not your fault. And guilt is something that drives OCD people to do what they do. And to realize that it wasn't my fault, and then I just got a breath of air that was someone saying, hey, kiddo, you know, you didn't cause this. You have chemicals misfiring in your brain. Um, I cried my eyes out because it was literally the best piece of information I had ever gotten. Mm. Mm. And I think that's something we could all relate to. Absolutely. You know, whatever, whatever the problem may be that we humanly just beat ourselves up thinking it is our fault or there's something wrong with us. And just to know that, that um, what we're talking about here with OCD, for anybody that's listening, that, it, listen, it's not your fault. Right. And so from what I'm hearing is if someone's thinks they have it or are severely having it, they could, is this like a, the Y box test they can go to an OCD? Is that a recommendation um, that you would give to somebody? There's to, a variety um of things. And I think just like with any topic matter, becoming educated right. is the first step. So, um, for instance, I never heard OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, as strange as this sounds for how popular it is now, um, strung together like that. And I did have a breakdown in Walnut Creek, which is a bustling part of California when my husband and I lived there. 
And um, due to this, I knew that we needed help outside of what he could do with all of his love and support and what I could do. We knew we needed outside help. And I was at work and just trying to muster the courage to, you know, keep keep working through the anxiety the best way that I could. And he heard a PSA on NPR and it basically broke down OCD and said, do you know somebody who suffers this way and thinks this way and does these things? And he thought, oh my God, this sounds like what we're dealing with. Like, wait a second. So he couldn't wait for me to get home from work. And I came in and he said, he said, Kirsten, I need to tell you what I heard on the radio today. I was listening to NPR and it was a public service announcement and they talked about OCD and this is what they said. And I said, Doug, I said, that's what I have. And he said, I think that is what you have. And I was like, oh my God. And he said, and they said, if you want more information, that there are specialists in your area and here's the 800 number that you can call. And so I made the call as nervous as anybody could ever be. And I was so fortunate to actually get the doctor to pick up the phone. And my voice was crackling and I was so nervous and so beside myself. And he said, hey, I have some time on my schedule this afternoon. Um, would you like to come in? And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to go for it. And Doug said, would you like me to drive you? And I just felt like, you know what? No. Like, I need to, I need to take this on. I need to be the one that, that gets myself there and sits down with this guy. And although I was incredibly nervous and scared, I was also very propelled to move forward because my inside compass felt good with this guy and felt like I should go there for whatever information he could impart. Wow. And just from a spiritual perspective, and we talk about the universe, that's how everything works. And by taking that action, so that's kind of where it started. Doug listening to the radio, giving you the information, you making the call, boom, going to the doctor. And I think, too, the thing to talk about that's interesting with people with OCD is that it's the doubter's disease because you doubt yourself. Did I turn the stove off? Are you sure? Did I, did I, did I? So you're constantly doubting yourself. And I think when you doubt yourself, um, it also turns way down your faith in yourself and your faith in the universe. And I felt really faithless. Um, but I did know somehow through all of it, I needed to get with this doctor. But the faith I had in myself of making good choices or what I would say in the meeting or whatever, um, my doubt was very high in myself and my faith was very low. And that also puts you in a very vulnerable, desperate state. And I have to say, with doctors, it's really important that you connect with the person and you feel safe. And oftentimes I've gone, his name is Daniel Kalb, and I said, you know, I was so vulnerable with you that if he wanted to just mess with my mind or do pretty much anything, I would have been putty in his hands. Mm. And I was so, so fortunate that he wasn't a sociopath. Right. He wasn't a sadist. He wasn't someone just doing this for a good time and I would be an interesting toy. He was a for real person with a for real heart and mind and soul. And he was there for me. And 
when you're in your very vulnerable state, to have someone who has your back was um, so memorable. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm. You know, having you here now is a lot more emotional than reading the book, I gotta say. Right. <laughs> um, so, how did this, were there, was there OCD that happened during work time? Or was it just kind of, were you able to separate working with other things? Or is it all just all together all the time? It's all together all the time, and you become incredibly well-versed at multitasking because you're operating on two platforms. One is do the things that will pull off me being normal and doing what needs to be done, but at the same time I could have been uh, reciting things in my mind. So the sucky part about OCD is it takes you out of the moment and joyful moments, even sad or whatever moments, because you're so consumed with all the mental tap dancing that you're doing. And sometimes if you can't work out your compulsion, you'll just obsess Mm -hmm. and you'll just be playing things over and over and over again. So for instance, at work, nobody knew this, but I couldn't just leave a voicemail and say, hey, if I stumbled or said the wrong thing or whatever, um, you know, everything will work itself out. So I would listen to a voicemail that I left for a coworker um, up to 150 times. Did I say it right? Did I sound intelligent? Did I sound scared? Did I communicate the information? Did I communicate it correctly? Is there anything I did that could cause this person harm? Maybe I should listen to it again. And so you're just doubting everything that you do. So everything is taking so um, excessively long that for somebody else, it's one, two, I'm done. For me, I wasn't one, two, done with anything. It was like I was in sticky glue with everything. So even though, yeah, I'm mobile. Hey, I'm, I got this big important job and I have a meeting and I have staff. Um, another part of you, your soul and your spirit is really stuck in a bottle of Elmer's glue. So part of you is like, yeah, hey, whoo, I'm happening. I got things going on. Another part of you is like, I'm completely immobilized and I couldn't be further away from real joy um, than I am. So you're incredibly depressed because you realize that you're the split personality and that if you were to share somebody what was really going on with you, they would say, you are a freak, (laughs) you are weird, you are fired. And you're unworthy of holding this position. So there's a lot of um, dichotomy of doing what you have to do to not let anyone know exactly where you are. Right. It's funny because when I was reading some of the stories that you had in the book, there were things that I related with in just, just normal mental thoughts of doubt. And I can't imagine what it'd be like to just have it keep replaying over and over because I think we all suffer from doubting ourselves at different points in our lives for different things and the responsibilities we have or the work we're doing. But to have this kind of, it sounds like a broken record, just keep on going over and over and over. Right. It's, I can't even imagine it. You came out of it through seeing a doctor and therapy what are you doing what are the kinds of things that you do today to um to deal with it 
Well, one thing that I want to share is rather than just saying, hey, those were lost years of my life and there's no value and it was just a big old waste of time, is I wanted to be as resourceful with that time as possible. So one of the things that I learned how to do really well is multitask. Yeah. So it's kind of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I don't want to go, okay, and everything from OCD goes in the garbage because it's like 22 years of my life. And I don't think I, not to be spiritual or lead anyone on to believing anything, but the God that I report to um, isn't that cruel and vicious and doesn't waste 22 years of anybody's life. Um, The God I report to says, okay, girl, You need to learn here. You've got an opportunity to learn and grow, and how are you going to do that? And with that frame of mind, I say, okay, OCD got me to be hypersensitive, but how can I use that hypersensitivity in a way that's not debilitating? Um, I'm super um, sensitive. I'm an empath, and it was crippling and crushing. But now it's like, wait a second, how do I how do I access that and use it as something good and powerful for other people? So everything that comes from OCD isn't bad. It's multifaceted. And I kind of have extracted what I can from it. For instance, I, I run a website and a and a shop. And I used to have a really hard time way back when of not having everything perfect and everything had to hit the bar. And what I realized is that perfection is like a moving target and it's elusive and you're constantly chasing this ghost of trying to be perfect, of weighing the right amount, of saying the right thing, of having the right customers. And there is no range with OCD and perfection. But in real life, in real human life, there is a range. In my gift shop, sure, it needs to look good, but if there's a couple things out of place, or if it's 90 to 100% looking good and not just 100 plus, I can roll with that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's good. I have goals and I achieve things and and I reach things, but I don't do it in a way that cripples me or others. And that's kind of where OCD is very dark is that it works against you rather than for you. So being in the driver's seat of my life, I say, okay, OCD, if you're going to be with me, this is how this game's going to roll. And if you're going to be with me in the sidecar, then this is how we're going to move forward. So it's like I understand I have this buddy next to me. I'd rather have him not be there because oftentimes it's just an annoyance, like flies on your sandwich. You don't want them there. Um, But being able to deal with the flies on your sandwich is like life that life has a lot of flies on the sandwich and i could be busy bitching and complaining that oh my gosh he's got um you know flies or say okay i'd rather not have the flies but i'm going to take a bite of the sandwich here and not eat the fly and you know what if i just start ignoring the flies oftentimes just like flies do they fly away and so there's a certain amount of just saying life comes with imperfections. I come with imperfections. This book will have typos. Um, there will be things I wish I could could go back and say differently, but it's not a dress rehearsal. I just got to go for it. And between 90 and 100, if I have a day like that, then that's fantastic. And there's going to be some days that are a lot less 
And that's okay too, because it's life. And life isn't about me gluing stones down in a particular pattern and, and having it have to be this certain way all the time. It's about saying the stones are loose in the water and they're going to tumble around and they're going to, you know, move from place to place. But I want to stay steady and I want to stay grounded. And that's an art form that I don't have mastered. I can't say, oh, I've got this. I'm a perfectly frosted cake and I'm done. Thank you. Um, not at all. It's just, can I learn from my mistakes? Do I have anything to share? And can I live in a range that's just going to be filled with flaws and imperfections? But can I move on? And can I make the best of it? And yes, I can. And truly, if I can, then other people can. Because it is very clear to me that if I could stand up and do this, I tell other people, you can stand up and do it too, not because I want anything more for you than for you to move on to your big happy life. Because in my world, that's what God intends and wants for everybody. And if I can be a conduit and help people get there for themselves, then you know what? That was a good day. That was a day that's 90 to 100. And I'll take that. And that's great. Yeah, all I have to say is yes, yes, yes. A bunch of yeses <laughs> to that. I think, you know, a couple things that really stuck out uh, during during what you were just saying there. One is those 22 years were not wasted at all. To zero. And the God that we were all report to, you know, not from a non-religious, however you want to look at it from a spiritual perspective, is right. That God, we're here created to have a happy, joyful life. At the same time, though, we 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 do play that role, that conduit, to help other people get there. Right. And the people that are coming out are now digging deep and taking care of themselves. If there can be that awareness that there is some highest good out of all my pain and suffering, when it when because when it's happening to us, we don't realize it. Right. You know, we we, we get to that place of breakdowns. But if we could just have that a little bit of awareness that. Okay, there's something bigger than this that will come out of it. Right. But I'm going to have to work through it. And there are going to be tough days, but there is light. So where there is darkness, there is light. Absolutely. And that is that is life. And that's really, I think, what we're finding out on the show and the guests we're talking to and what John and I are realizing on this path. That is life flies on the sandwich. Right. You don't have Absolutely. the perfect sandwich. Right. <laughs> right. You know, right. Yeah, the mustard could be dripping or something. You know. Right. It's always going to be something, but it's wh- how do we respond and what's our approach going to be? Yes. You yes, know? exactly. So we can live life and get to that place of peace and joy. And you know what? There is going to be those bad days, but they, they don't have to be as bad as they once were because now we have all these tools Right. And we've been learning from our mistakes. And really, that is one of the lessons to learn is that's why we're here, to learn from the mistakes, to grow. We're constantly growing. Yes. And to put those tools in place for us so to deal with everyday life. True. And there might be a day that, hey, the tools I used yesterday, I'm not using today. Or, you know what, I know all about this toolbox, but gee... I need to learn about this toolbox. And there's so many toolboxes, not to get all uh, metaphors here, but there's so many toolboxes, there's so many tools that each day is really a new experience and I pull from what I know 
but I try to be open to learning new things. And I try to not take myself nearly as seriously as I used to take myself at one time. And one thing I wanted to impart too is that when I was in, this is Walnut Creek again, um, in California, I was very tense at work, and this was kind of when I was hitting the crescendo of no more normal, okay moments. They're all disappearing, and you're hanging by your fingernails off the ledge, and um, you're really scared. You're, re- you're really fearful. And there was a time where I thought, Everything has to be just a certain way, and if anything is less than that, then it's not an okay day. And being okay with not okay days is fine. Anyway, so I went to this chiropractor, and I was very stressed and strung out, and because I was in the business world, there were, you know, um, closed doors conversation. People were getting let go. It's a very scary environment. I've lived through many of them, and... I was so tense that I went to a chiropractor because trying to diagnose myself before I had OCD and before the NPR um, PSA and Dr. Kelb, um, I thought, well, maybe I'm just holding in all my stress in my back and my legs because my body started to hurt and kind of have these little toxic, um, you know, knots. And I thought, I must need a chiropractor. Like, that's what I've been in search of, is a chiropractor that's going to solve all these issues. He was this long-haired, flowing, laid-back, the hippest chiropractor you could ever imagine in your whole life. He was a great guy. I loved his energy. Um, It was like he broke the mold because my past beliefs about chiropractor went away when I met this Oovy Groovy, you know, um, Dr. Groovy Pants doctor. <laughs> Dr. Groovy Pants. <laughs> and and um, I told him I'm very tense, I need things to be a certain way, and I was kind of rattling off to him these symptoms that I was having. And he rubbed my back, and that felt really good, and I felt safe with him. And then when I was leaving his office, he said, Hey, Kirsten. And I said, Yeah. And he said, This weekend, why don't you eat some ice cream and have some fun? And I thought, wow, dude, you have no idea how far away that idea sounds because I can't eat ice cream and just have some fun because I'm barely functioning at all. And something that sounds very normal and, hey, what's the big deal? Eat some ice cream, have some fun. For someone who's healthy, yeah, that's, that's obtainable. That's reachable. But the distance of how far off I knew that was and that wellness was and that normalness It's like I sunk even more into my depression because the gap between where that was, which is, you know, not a big deal, was such a big deal that it felt like I was like, you know, it was me on one side of the crater and then where happy good people get to go is where they were eating ice cream and having fun. And I thought something's so wrong with me because that shouldn't be like the furthest goal for me to be feeling right now. And it really became so apparent to me how lost I was. And in my book, you know, I kind of joke around when I'm able to be lighter with myself. And the first part of the book is very much a memoir and you're in the thick of it and you don't really know what's going on with me like I didn't. And um, 
you know, you really have to stay tuned because there's the turning point of when I meet the doctor and I'm able to start um, implementing these things that I, I have learned. And one thing for the other people that are suffering from OCD out there, whether it's eating ice cream and having fun or whatever it is for you that you want to get to, whatever normalcy, whatever being present or in the moment you want or whatever regular old happy experience you want to have, right now they may seem very distant and they may seem so far away and you feel very isolated and kind of sitting in a corner all dark by yourself. But you know what? Whatever you envision, whatever you want, for me it was eating ice cream and having some fun. I got there. And now I can eat ice cream and have some fun. I can do that. So no, I can't run a triathlon. Um, I can't swim across um, big bodies of water or whatever. That won't be me. But I can be that normal person just having a normal experience. And for OCD, what happens is you're taken away from that. And if I can do it and I can have ice cream and relax and have some fun, then everybody else can have what they want too. There is nothing special about me that isn't equally as wonderful about other people. And you can really design those moments in life and go for it and get there and they are obtainable. And I can promise you, and, and one thing that's really important is that when you have OCD, you feel like a little tiny peanut in this big giant hand and you're just helpless. And the ironic thing is that OCD wants you to feel like that, wants you to feel like a little peanut that has no legs and arms that can't turn over, wants you to be fearful of what a big clutching grip of a hand you're in. But the reality is that you're bigger than the hand. You're bigger than your OCD. You're bigger than all the things that get in your way. You're the biggest. And just realizing that you're the biggest, well, big people get places and you're a big person and you can get places and you can get to wherever it is you dream of going. And it's only because I believe that in myself and I have faith that I spent the time and energy and early mornings to share what I know so other people can get there for themselves. And that's truly my intention and purpose of writing the first word was so other people can get to that place that they want to get to wherever that may be well said yeah i mean well said i mean we could spend you know hours and hours yeah i know i, I want to talk to her for hours yes but we do have time yeah we have um you know i wanted to ask you about because we've had some, the past couple of shows, we've had some people that teach transcendental meditation on the show. And I know in your book, you talk about going to uh, your first meditation class. I want to talk to you more about how you're experiencing meditation and how that's been working for you and what you think about it, just to let other people know. Well, I think meditation, um, I read a book, I can't think of the author right now, but it's called 10% Happier. And he talks about how, yeah, med meditation can't take away all your problems, but I can tell you if you practice it, you'll be 10% happier. And so when I read the book, I thought, hey, I'm always up for 10% happier. Sure, why not? 
And he talks about how there's so much mysticism and so much allure and spirituality sounds so out of reach and so um, something that maybe people don't feel they are. And he breaks it down very nicely that meditation is just a basic thing that kind of gives you mentally and in your spirit a clean slate to kind of readjust, restart, and be a little more present. And to me, if you can have those things, then you're more than 10% happier, although when you're miserable, 1% happier is a success. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But with meditation, just me being able to sit still with myself was such a huge achievement and so difficult to get through um, because I never was sitting still with myself. I never was sitting still with my mind. I was always, I remember one guy who did some mentoring and saw that I was, you know, kind of... um, for lack of a better word, a real wreck. And he said that my energy was like a buzzsaw and he could just feel my uneasiness and my un being able to steady myself and have any balance. And meditation, it's not for me like you do it right, you do it wrong, you have to do it a certain way. It's about sitting with yourself. And when you think about it, you know, we're all looking at our phones like I am too. And if you see a commercial on TV, you don't like it. I have never done this, but you hit TiVo. You know, we kind of control things that that we're going to get the world just the way that we want it. And when you sit by yourself, a lot of things surface that we may not want to think about or look at, but it's a way to really calm down, sit with yourself and just kind of see where you're at. And we all are moving so fast that I think we lose track of where we're at because we're scrambling so fast to get everything done that's quote-unquote life and earning a living. But to just be able to sit down and quiet your mind, for me anyways, that's a huge retreat. And that's a retreat that I feel is something that I am learning more about and that I need to keep doing. And so I can't write, you know, a prescription and say it's for everybody. But like the gentleman said in his book, I do recommend it for everybody. (laughs) And I do think that you can get 10% happier. And if you want to get happier than that, then go for it. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, John. And and I'm glad that's in your book because, you know, I mean, we we've talked about we talked about a lot in the show, the last recent shows. Yeah, you know, and really any meditation is good meditation, and we do live in a busy world, and but I think sometimes the challenge is from a from a another level is to really sit with ourselves, so really find out who we are. Right, and sometimes that's difficult. Absolutely, and and it's kind of like it's almost kind of like if you want to find out who you are. Try meditation. Right. 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 And if you want to find out what you're avoiding, try meditation. Right. 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 And, um, but yeah, so enough said on that because we we talk about meditation all the time. Right. You know, but I think it's just amazing that somebody, I mean, you're always in your head with OCD. Right. It's always there. And for you to even attempt it is a huge, I think a huge undertaking because it's hard. Right. We, we don't have OCD, and it's right. hard for us to sit, quiet your mind, and do it for 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever it is. You know, I, 
I think too that um, the benefits after you do it for a while start to really show themselves and then there's things that if I don't do it for a while or I get busy traveling or whatever it's not like you know oh hey I need to do do these 1000 things to feel better it's hey I just need five minutes to sit quietly with myself and so the thing that's so nice is that you know, you don't have to be up in the Himalayan mountains. Um, you don't have to be wearing a special robe. You don't have to do mm -hmm. all these things right. that you might be thinking meditation is. Um, it's free. Right. And it's available to everybody. It's it's not something that you have to have a certain amount of money. You just have to have a little bit of time to want to be still. And when you do that, you really do find the benefits that that are there because of that. Yeah. Yep. Woo, Kirsten. See, I haven't talked to you in five years, and now we're, <laughs> now we're, we, talking, about now we're everything. talking about everything. Yeah. And it's great because, you know, I've missed you. I've missed you too, John. And I want to congratulate you for writing this book, also for your awesome business, because I think suffering from this and running, being an entrepreneur and running your own business, um, it's got to be hard, but. You've, you're doing it, and I think that's what's inspirational about it. It gives hope to a lot of people. You've shared a lot of things. Um, I think it's just awesome. And like I said, it opened when I read your book. I'm like, I already, I already thought you were great. Now I'm like, wow, you were doing all this too. It was, it, it was really amazing to me. Wow. And everything you've accomplished is like, I don't know how how to say it. It's like even. I didn't realize the mountain you were climbing. Right. But, you know, and John, you and I had lunch earlier today, mm -hmm. and everyone has a backstory, and everyone's climbing mountains, and everybody has trials and errors. And I just think it's learning that, hey, everybody comes with a story, and mine might be of OCD and abuse and instability, and, hey, that's my story. But everybody has a story. And I think when we realize that we all have stories, we can be more open to everybody and more loving of everybody that we realize everyone has things that they're dealing with. And it's not one-sided and it's not only me that's dealing with challenges. You know, I'm the only one. Uh, we all are dealing with so many challenges. And, um, and that's not something to be shy from it's saying hey 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 i'm a human and other people go yeah i'm human too and i might not be you know struggling with ocd and addiction but i am struggling with xyz and if we can help prop each other up or in a dark corner lend each other a flashlight no matter what the topic is um we would all be better off doing that for each other and for ourselves and wouldn't that be a great world if we all came to the table knowing that everybody had a story and that everyone needed to have people with open hearts listen to them? Amen to that. Amen. Kirsten, where your book's coming out October 1st. Where can people find the book, find you, learn more about all the information that you have? Okay. Um the name of the book is Leaving the OCD Circus. And if you wanted to connect with me right away, I have a website, 
and the domain name is leavingtheocdcircus.com, and I have contact information there. Um, so that's that's the quick way. Um, the other way is right now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and IndieBound, you can pre-order the book, which means as soon as it hits the shelf on October 1st, you will have your copy. So you don't have to go struggle through traffic and all that good stuff to get a book. You can have it delivered to your house. And if you are in the Ann Arbor area on Sunday, October 23rd at 3 p.m., there's a beautiful nookie kind of bookstore called Nicola's. And I'm doing a book launch and signing, and anybody and everybody is welcome to come and either chat with me or get to know other people, or if nothing else, check out this amazing bookstore. And um, I would love to see you there. So I want to say thank you, John, for having me today. Thank you, Chris. And it's been really invigorating and my heart feels kind of pumped up and I can feel my adrenaline. I'm like, hey, what's next? What's next? So I'm going to ask you guys, let's go play, you know, baseball outside. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much for the opportunity for me to connect with other sufferers that has been, is, and will always be the mission. And I feel a lot of gratitude that you've given me the platform to do exactly that. Well, thank you for being on the show and sharing your story. And if you want to know when the next episode of our pod is queued up, uh, make sure you subscribe to the Humble Warrior Podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at The Warrior Pod and like the Humble Warrior Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Kirsten, thanks again for being on the show. It's going to be less than five years when we talk again. Yes. Yeah, we need to circle back. We yeah, will we'll, back. we'll see what happens when this book comes out. Yeah. Who knows? I, I smell New York Times bestseller. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and until next time, live brave. Join us next week for the next episode of the Humble Warrior Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes or visit humblewarriorpodcast.com to listen to our past episodes. <laughs>